In the name of Jesus, the Lamb of God, amen. Though this has happened before, uh, a rainy Friday night about a month ago, I was having dinner in a local restaurant uh, with a couple of friends of mine. And uh, when our drinks came to the table, we spontaneously raised our glasses. And uh, one of us, I don't remember which one, uh, proposed uh, a classic toast in the words, here's mud in your eye. Uh, After which uh, another one of us looked uh, curiously across the table and said, where did that come from? I was ready with the answer. So it's in the Bible, man. It's John chapter 9, where Jesus makes mud and puts it in the uh, eye of the blind man and gives him his uh, vision. Really, my friend said. Yeah, really, I replied. And so that toast that some of you may have proposed or at least heard is a euphemism. It is a way of saying, here's to your health. And I would add, here's to your vision of Jesus. And that story has uh, really repeated itself in my life uh, many different times with variations on the theme. And it has always been, if you'll pardon the expression, an eye-opening experience uh, for people who may have heard or proposed that toast without even understanding what it really meant. And so by God's grace, uh, today is a great eye-opening day of celebration. In five baptisms, so we welcome children of God into the family of God and 11 first communions as we surround these families with our prayers and with our support here in the family of God. And as we celebrate God's grace today, we have what is very obviously an eye-opening piece of scripture from the gospel of John as we begin to make our transition toward Palm Sunday and the beginning of Holy Week and another celebration of Easter. And, And in this passage today, we find ourselves eavesdropping on a Sabbath day moment when Jesus and his followers, his disciples, are walking through the streets of Jerusalem. And there they come upon a man who is blind. And he is begging in the streets. And as as the curtain rises on this passage, as you heard uh, a moment ago, his disciples ask a question that I think some people, even to this day, continue to struggle with about the relationship between sickness and sin, the relationship between sin and loss, sin and brokenness, sin and the trials and the struggles of this life. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be uh, blind? Because for them, it had to really be one or the other because they lived in this world that connected sickness and sin in very specific and very clear and uh, unabashed ways. Uh, But Jesus dismisses uh, the premise of their question and their notion by saying, uh, well, you know, neither this man nor his parents uh, sinned, but the glory of God can be revealed in in this man's life because Jesus is in the business of shining light through the darkness and through the brokenness of this world. And with that, John tells us that Jesus spits on the ground and he makes some mud with his saliva You may find that to be gross. I find it to be gross. (laughs) But to understand it, all you got to do is go back to the book of Genesis where God creates us 
out of the dust of the earth. And so with that, Jesus puts the mud on the eyes of the blind man, tells him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam, uh, which was and still is to this day uh, located in the city of Jerusalem. You can still uh, go visit it yourself. And uh, after he washes, for the first time in his life, he sees. But I would also add, he is given a vision of Jesus. Now, to be honest with you, uh, there's a big part of me that wishes John would have just stopped the whole passage right there and gone on to the next thing because uh, this wonderful, most blessed moment in the life of this guy is uh, followed by some buzzkilling conversations uh, among people who just, you know, didn't have the eyes to see what God has really done. And of course, you you start out with the neighbors, and they, and they question the identity of, of this man, with some saying, well, you know, that's really him, and, and others saying, no, that's not really him, it's, it's somebody that just looks like him, if you'll pardon the expression. In other words, they were, they were blind to what God was really doing in this world. They were so used to seeing him in just that one way, as a blind man, as a beggar, which is the only uh, way that a blind person could support themselves back in, in those days. But the neighbors were blind to the transforming work of Christ. Then you get the Pharisees, the keepers and defenders of uh, religious law. They don't question the identity of the man. They question the identity of Jesus. With some saying, you know, he's got to be from God, and others saying, you know, he can't possibly be uh, from God because he performs this healing on the Sabbath day, which is against our religion And so no self-respecting prophet would ever do such a thing, not to mention the fact that to perform this healing, he uses his own saliva, which under the law is defiled, it is impure, it is unclean. I agree with that. You know, you don't like it when people spit at you. But for the Pharisees, the problem was that they let their religious tradition get in the way of this new thing that God was doing. This was a miracle of God, and they refused to see it. Then come the parents. Uh, They don't question the identity of their son. They really don't question the identity of Jesus either. What they questioned, in effect, was their own identity. And so they chicken out of defending Jesus, the healer, and also the one who was healed, because if they did, according to John, they would get kicked out of the synagogue. And so instead, they decide to stay in the comfort zone. Then you got the guy himself, this newly sighted visionary, who's interrogated by the Pharisees, and he responds by, you know, just kind of flat out saying, you know, well, this is what happened to me. This man, Jesus, he made mud with saliva, and he put it on my eyes, and I washed in the pool of Siloam, and and I was blind, but now I see. Except that he gets interrogated a second time. This time the gloves come off and they say to him, you know, give God the glory, which was a euphemism. It was a phrase that basically meant, now we want you to take an oath. Raise your right hand. Tell the truth. To which the man says, I just told you the truth. And you won't see it. The result of which is that man is rejected by them for what Jesus did for him. And yet he is led 
to the defining moment of his life when he looks at Jesus with this new vision that had been given to him, and he says to him, Lord, I believe. You know, I vaguely remember uh, preaching on this passage from John chapter 9 um, some years. In fact, you know, I hate to say this, but probably decades ago, uh, when I talked about uh, a man uh, that I knew at the time uh, whose name uh, is Art Lillicrop, and he was a hospital chaplain at Howard County General Hospital in Columbia, and he ministered to us uh, during the time when our daughter Lauren had spent 80 days in the NICU there, uh, having been prematurely born. And uh, in one of our visits together, we were having uh, coffee, and because I do what I do, I said to him, you know, so how'd you get into the ministry? And, uh, you know, he kind of chuckled a little bit, smiled at me, and he said, well, I was blind, but now I see. Well, that's interesting. Say more. And he proceeded to tell me about a time when he contracted an eye disease during which everything became darker and darker and darker until he was literally physically blind for a period of like some years until he finally underwent bilateral corneal transplant and his vision was restored. And so with that story in mind, he looked at me across the table and he said, this is going to sound corny, but I found Jesus in the darkness. You know, and that was the gist of the conversation. That was his testimony, his answer to my question. Well, you know, last week I'm looking at the passage and I'm thinking about preaching on it once again, and I started asking myself, where happened to Art Lillycrop? And so thanks to the internet, I stalked him. <laughs> I found out he's now on the other end of the country. He's out in California, still in ministry and uh, still in a healthcare uh, facility where he is uh, serving. But I, I also learned another part of the story that he did not share with me all those years ago. That when he lost his sight, he was actually working as a cameraman for a TV station in New York City. And you know, there are certain jobs that you can do and you know, still be blind. You know, being a cameraman, probably not one of them. And so after the transplant, when he, his vision was restored, uh, he decided that instead of going back to his old profession, that he would say thank you to Jesus. So he went off to seminary and became a, an Episcopal priest. And today he goes around in the healthcare community talking about how somebody had to die so that he could have his sight. Which leads us to the real message that he conveys in his ministry about somebody who had to die so we can see the brightness and the glory of God. But what really strikes me about that whole story and what I now know about the details is, is really what he said to me years ago I found Jesus in the darkness, which is to say that Jesus was already beginning to work his work, to shine his light, to give him spiritual insight 
even before he received his physical sight once again. I found Jesus in the darkness, and he opened my eyes, and now I've become a servant of Christ. So I don't know, uh, you know, what kinds of things might be uh, clicking for you in this uh, passage or what lessons you uh, might be picking up from it. You know, for me, that initial question uh, on the part of those uh, disciples about the relationship between uh, sin and sickness, it just reminds me that I don't have to spend a whole lot of time, you know, wondering about that or, or asking myself why, you know, bad things happen to good people in, the, in this world or who sinned. Because the answer is very clear. We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God, and that does account for the brokenness and the, and the imperfection of this world. But Jesus died for all of our sins. So that instead of spinning my wheels, asking questions that I can't get answers for, instead I can just start looking for the glory of God to be revealed. I can start looking for Jesus in the darkness because, by the way, not everybody, even in Jesus' ministry, got healed. And by the way, even the ones who got healed, it was just temporary, obviously. You know, from the neighbors, uh, I'm reminded that, you know, sometimes I need to, you know, be a little more open to the kind of changes that Jesus can create in the lives of people around me. Let go of my preconceived notions and judgments about them. And from the Pharisees, I learned that, you know, I, I need to make sure that, you know, the, the habits and the traditions of my religion don't get in the way of seeing these new things that God is still up to uh, in this world. You know, and from the parents, I, I am reminded that, you know, when you say yes to Jesus, you're always saying no to something else. Unless you want to live for yourself and just kind of Stay in your comfort zone. From this newly sighted visionary, I am greatly relieved that in order for me to give a witness to Jesus, I do not have to have all the answers. All I need to do is say, hey, this is what happened to me. This is what I have experienced. And from Jesus, the healer, I learned the most important lesson of all that there's nowhere that our God is unwilling to go to find his way to beggars like me and you and all of us and all of his children all around the world to be the light of the world, to illuminate the truth, to shine through the darkness, to break through the law, and to give us our true identity as the children of God. It may interest you to know that today's passage from uh, John chapter 9 has been read in the tradition of the Christian church all around the world during the season of Lent for 1,700 years. Because in the tradition of the early church, Lent was not just a journey to the cross. Lent was a time of preparation for, guess what, the sacrament of baptism that would be administered shortly before Easter as it was for these four on this Lord's Day today. And so, as we celebrate uh, that washing, 
You may be thinking about your own life and realizing that Jesus might not have been uh, putting mud in your eyes, but he has washed away your sins and he does feed you at his table of grace uh, to strengthen your spirit, to, to remind you of, of his power and his voice and his message that I have called you by name and you are mine. You are a child of God and that will never change. And so, with all of those words in mind, to those who are baptized today, to those who in a moment will come to receive the Lord's Supper for the first time, to all of you here, and to all people everywhere, I say to you today, here's to your health, but it's only temporary. More importantly, here's to your vision of Jesus and its power to change everything for you until you see him face to face in a glory that will never end. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.